Well, good morning, church, and here we are in uh, Revelation 2, 18 through 29 this morning. Got a question for you. How many parents do you know named their daughter Jezebel? If anybody raises their hand, I'm going to say, you've got to show me this because I don't believe it. But actually, because of that character Jezebel in Kings, I don't know if there's ever been anybody ever born since then that we know of that would have that name Jezebel. But I could be surprised. There's probably somebody running around here in the world today with the name Jezebel. It's kind of hard to imagine. That's funny how you can take a biblical name, or it's in the Bible, not biblically, it's the way it lived, but the, the name itself is a good name, but it was soiled by one person and how that affects everybody else. So uh, here we are talking about Jezebel and why Jezebel. Well, that's where we're at today as far as uh, her church is concerned. It was the corrupt church of Thyatira. And uh, we know that we've been looking at churches. The first three uh, were uh, commended, commended pretty highly. And so is Thyatira. Although Thyatira is a corrupt church. We looked last week at a church that was the compromising church, and that was Pergamos. And uh, Pergamos had let the world in. It was uh, idolatry, immorality. And it breaks loose and goes full scale now by the time we look at this church, Thyatira. Uh, it was not only infiltrated by the world such as it was at Pergamos, but it's absorbed in sin and error, just absorbed by it, just corrupted. And there was complete disobedience to the demands of the Lord there. So the letter goes to the church in Thyatira, And after all three of the churches that we've looked at so far, basically they were true to the faith. They had not yielded themselves to the complete assault of uh, sin that had come their way. Uh, This church, Thyatira, is much worse than Pergamos in a lot of ways. Uh, We look at it, we see false teaching, we see immorality, and that was happening even in Pergamos, but now it is deep. Uh, Matter of fact, it's penetrated very deeply as they are into the deep things of Satan, as it says here. Smyrna was assaulted by the synagogue of Satan, if you remember Smyrna. That was a good church, and they were commended and not condemned in any way. The second or the, the next church, Pergamos, was where the throne of Satan was. And the one today that we look at, Thyatira, is deep into the deep things of God. That's where we've progressed. And they were tolerating this sin. And it kept on going. When you love your Lord, you will do what He says and be obedient because you desire that. Well, Ephesus lost their first love. You remember that, right? Watch the progression as we look at other churches. Uh, We see in Pergamos that they were a worldly church compromising. So if you lose your first love, you love the world more. You love the world more and more. And then it infiltrates your life 
life of the church. And you get to the point of where we look at today tolerating sin. And that's what this church did. And so we'll look at that. Hopefully that will give us uh, some deeper truths in the way that the church is throughout history and today. There are a lot of things we can learn as a result of that. Let's uh, read that passage. Chapter 2, let's stand. Starting at (laughs) verse 18. Either this tea here will make that cough go away, that little tickle, whatever that is, or it started it in the first place. So, it could get worse or it could get better. Let's try it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, if we have ears this morning, spiritual ears, help us to understand this, help it go to our hearts, so that we individually would not follow this pattern that was in this particular church that we just read of. Help us to live lives that are pure and holy and reflect Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, well, we have the same outline as we did last week. Basically, the week before and the same outline that we had the first week. This is the fourth church out of seven. It starts off with the 
to the angel of the church, and I won't take any time much on that. That's the deliverer, the messenger of this letter to the church, angel, elders, whoever, pastors. Thyatira is the city that we're dealing with this morning. And he says it's to them. You take it to Thyatira and write this. Thyatira was a commercial city. And we look at every city and they all have their different um, aspects. that What they're about. Whether they're a port city or whether they are a city that's a university city as we looked at Pergamum. This is a commercial city in that it uh, has business on its mind. It was the least important of the seven cities that I have understood. But in its guilds was its power. Guilds is trades, crafts, kind of like trade unions. You see a guild is where people come together, associate with each other in their business. We have it today. If you associate with other business partners in Jefferson City or outside the state or anywhere, you have those associations and they build you up. And you can probably be more lucrative if you have an association with others. Well, they would have meetings to keep themselves in a common way. And the meetings that they would go to would be a meal. Their meal would start off with a glass of wine that was actually poured out as a libation, as a drink offering to their gods. Now, if you're a Christian businessman and you want to make your business lucrative, you're going to have to join in with these people or stay joined with them. You were there with them before. You were a Christian. Now, how are you going to act with these who are not Christians? It's going to be tough. It's going to be very difficult because you go to this meal, this meeting, there they are, they start off with a sacrifice to their gods. And then they have food, and guess where the food comes from? Well, the meat was sacrificed to idols. So right off the bat, you've got a problem, don't you? I don't believe in their gods, right? So how can I keep going and being in here and still yet be a successful businessman? Well, the thing is, your business is probably going to tank, to be honest with you. And that's how important their guilds were in Fire Tyrant. So does that help so far? That's what's happening. Most people were business people. This is a business town. It's a commercial city. So that's the situation. They uh, have heathen, heathen gods that they honor there. What would you have done if you had been there? What would you do today if you were in that kind of situation? Well, a lot of people say, don't take it seriously. It's not a big deal. You don't mean it anyway. As a Christian, go ahead and go there. And you know what real idolatry is. And you don't believe in that. So that's what they did. The only thing is, as you would go there, they would have partaking of alcohol, When you have partaking of alcohol, unfortunately what happens is that people can't stop at one. They have more and more. And what they would do, it it would turn into a drunken party, a a carousal. And not only that, uh, which would be drunkenness, but it would lead into things that would get even worse. It would be immorality. And the immorality that we're talking about there is porneia or it's an uncleanness, it's a sexual sin, and of course, what kind of gods and worship do they have? Well, they had temple prostitutes, or the priestesses, and so there was sexual immorality going on 
That's how you worshipped God. So with our gods there, that's what that would lead to as you're at this party. It's a drunken party is what it amounts to. But it'll get you up in the world, you know. And of course there are organizations today that would be uh, considered to be something like that. I, you know, come right up front and say, how about something like... uh, the Masonic Lodge. I wonder what they do. Or other lodges where they meet together. Interesting, isn't it? And it turns into a drunken carousal. Uh, I know those kind of things. I played music way back in the 70s and we were invited to play there. Different places like that. And you would see as the night went on, it got loose and more loose to where you go, whoa, what is going to go next? These are grown-up people who lead the community in the business realm. So it was amazing what you would see. I couldn't wait to get out of there. (laughs) took me a few years to finally get out of that as it progressed to places like bars and such. I'm saying, Lord, get me out of here. Well, He did. He did. But I will tell you, quite the thing. So what do you do with Christians who live there? There is a a lady by the name of Lydia. And if you remember Lydia, she was a God seeker. She sought out the true God. She wasn't a Christian yet. And as she was in Philippi, she was carrying on business. If you want to turn to Acts 16... Verse 14, just read that for a moment. She's doing business. She is a believer in God, but not yet believing in Christ yet. But that's where Paul comes into play here. And we look at verse 14. That's where she had gone to down to the riverside. It was a place of prayer. She uh, sat down, she was speaking to the women who had assembled, and we pick it up in verse 14. A woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, the true God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart. Folks, that's a good one for effectual salvation. Effectual justification. You know what he does? He opens our heart. Do we open our hearts? No. Our heart is against God. But here she is. She does believe in the true God, but she doesn't know Christ. So she's not a true Christian yet, is she? But he opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She was doing a business in Philippi that was a business that Thyatira is very familiar with. It's famous for its purple fabrics. So she takes that elsewhere and moves that out there to... uh, to be selling. She was a success. And that's good. That's the way you work that kind of thing. I will tell you that purple dye, it comes from some plants and shellfish. And the way that it comes out, it's a purple dye that is valued by the world. 
and a pound of that would cost today something equal to $200. And so it's very expensive. It was very lucrative to her, Lydia, and to others. So she travels to carry on her business. So would it be okay to live in Thyatira? Well, certainly. God plants His churches in pagan cities. He's always done that. And so that's what he does with Paul, uh, you know, in Philippi. Thyatira is not exactly where Paul had been, but the gospel went there. I have to wonder if she took it back there and started a church. I don't know. Or maybe she went back there and there was a church already going. Anyway, it is, she's a believer. She not only believes in the true God, but she believes in Christ. She is saved, sanctified, spirit-filled. She is ready to take the gospel, I'm sure. So number two, we've learned a little bit about Thyatira. Do we get the idea there? Business realm, commercial. Now, the second part in all of our outlines is the characteristic of Christ. The Son of God, right there in 18, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. Now who's speaking? Christ is speaking. John receives this by the Holy Spirit. He writes it down. It gets to the messengers. They take it back to the churches. Then they read these letters. I would be riveted on whoever's giving that message, wouldn't you? This came from John. They know about John. He'd been in Ephesus. It's not that far. Gets around, doesn't it? What happened? I think a lot of people got convicted. But they got encouraged too. And so we see that He is the Son of God. Stop there just for a moment. We could stay on that and go for a week, couldn't we? The deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Fully man, fully God. He is God here. That is projecting His deity. Very early on, right at the very outset, people who are Christians all believe in the deity of Christ. You cannot be a Christian and say, well, He's not God. He's just a Son of God. Oh, then He's a lesser God. Well, yeah, I guess you could put it that way. If that's the case, you're not a Christian. Because the point of Christianity is Jesus Christ is the whole story of the Bible. He is God. That's the idea. It says right here, the Son of God. You're going to church here at this place in Thyatira and immediately he says, the Son of God speaks. Wow. Would it get your attention? You're reading a letter that is like just almost directly from God. It's not His voice speaking, but it's through a messenger, an angel, who has eyes like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. And we've seen this before. In uh, chapter 1, we saw a vision of Christ as uh, John recorded it. And in 1, verse, uh, verse 14, it says, His head and His hair were white like wool, like snow, and His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when he made a glow in a furnace absolutely glowing brilliant radiant speaks a judgment 
flame of fire, his eyes. I mean, he sees through people. He sees their hearts. He sees inside. We can't do that, can we? We can see their outward actions, but we cannot see what's really there. He does. His eyes are flaming, judging the feet of brass. So that's a characteristic of Christ we move on. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wrong one. Okay. That didn't fit. Okay, so we've got the, the idea that he is God and he is judging. It's like, pay attention. This is for everybody, right? He's speaking to us today through his word, through his spirit. He happens to be using my voice as, as lame as it is. And yet, what we see here will penetrate through us because it's the Word of God. It's not the Word of Dennis. And so, here we go. It's an interesting thing here as we come to the commendation of the church. That when we see the Lord Jesus... If he can find anything to commend an individual or a church, you know what he'll do? He will commend them. He will look real hard sometimes, but if that be the case, he will start with the commendation. Don't you like that? I think that's important to us to know. Sure, we see some things in our own life that's not lining up. But yet, he starts with the things that are good, that honor him. He's a gracious God, isn't he? So you know what he does? I am astounded as he commends them on all the things that they did were good. And there are a lot of things here. And this we're calling the Thyatira, the what church? The corrupt church. Look at this, folks. Verse 19, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. Look at this. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Wow! Just that one verse tells you a lot about this church. It is a real church. It is biblical. So we start with that. I know your deeds. I know your work. Were they a busy church? Yes, they were. They were real busy. Boy, do we need that in these days. It's a lot better than a lazy church, isn't it? Boy, do we need that. We need to be busy for the Master, don't we? I know your works. I know your love. That's interesting. What did he say to the Ephesians? You, but I have this against you, that you left your first love. Do you know they have works with love? This is incredible. How does this work? Well, he's definitely working in them, isn't he? Their love was genuine. They loved God. They loved Christ. They loved each other in the church. They loved the lost. They loved and they worked. They served. 
And it wasn't that it was just a working church just to be busy, but they had true love behind it. Amazing. You know, we could learn a thing or two from Thyatira, couldn't we? We really could. They like to serve God. They like to work. They love each other. Every place can be better at what they do. Am I saying we're not a loving church? Not at all. You guys very much put it on display. All week long and through the week, I know who you are. And you know what? I would say that commendation too. Your work, your love. A lot of people do a lot of work behind the scenes here. Nobody even knows at all what they do. And I don't know it all. I know some things, but there's a lot more that I don't know. But God knows. And He likes that. Let this be a welcoming place, right? We want to be welcoming people that come here. That they, it, it can be a safe house, right? They use that term, like, you know, like spy shows and such. But uh, Love one another. That's what they do. They're known by the world because they love each other. What an example. They serve. They're faithful in service. They're faithful. They keep doing it no matter what. No matter what seems like it's, they're not getting any benefit out of it. They faithfully serve. We are called to be faithful, faithful to the Lord, faithful to His church, and then they endured. You see the word perseverance. They endured it all as they went through this life at the church. They were soldiers of Christ. They persevered. So that's pretty amazing. And we see here that they actually have even greater works than they did when they first started. And I have to wonder if they even had greater love. You know, the Ephesian church, they started losing their love. A great church of doctrine. And they didn't let false teachers come in. That was great. Whereas here, they did let false teachers come in. Sometimes you can be so loving that you don't condemn false teaching. And you let it go on. And it starts affecting the whole church. So that's what we're getting at now in verse 20 as we get here. But they're doing more than they ever did before, but yet there's a putrefying deep sore deep into the body of this congregation. And so, Jesus has to give a condemnation, which He does five out of seven churches. This one is different than the other ones. This really is magnified more. A church might seem to have a very effective ministry. It might even be growing numerically. All sorts of programs going on, building new buildings... All sorts of things happening. Activity and love going on. They might have strength there, but it might be like Thyatira, corrupt to the core. After all of what we looked at, it's corrupt. doesn't mean there are not true Christians in there. That is certainly true. That's why He gave a commendation. It was a real commendation. He says this, 
What was the problem there? Well, he says in verse 20, but I have this against you. What is it? That you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. There's a spiritual meaning behind this, but I'll tell you what, there is a physical meaning in this. It's not just spiritual. As we said earlier, that name Jezebel, it's actually a beautiful name, but it's not being used anymore. It actually means, get this folks, pure. Chest. That's the meaning of Jezebel. That's the etymology. Uh, Jezebel, in the Old Testament, the Jezebel that we think of that was married to the king, Ahab, was actually known for corruption, for whoredoms and witchcraft. That's who she was. She was a Zidonian princess who married Ahab, who was the king of the ten tribes, or what is known as northern Israel. Whenever they rebelled against the southern two southern tribes, they went north, and they, I mean, they were there, they stayed there, that's where they worshipped from there on, it was all idolatry. Jezebel comes in on this, and she introduces to the northern kingdom idolatry. She introduces her gods as she marries the king. What is the king marrying her anyway? She's foreign. The law of God says no. Well, you see what the ten tribes have done already. They're not obeying God in anything. So what does that matter? I will tell you that she slew the true prophets of God. She killed them. What else did she do? She killed Naboth. Had him murdered. And then, got his vineyard. Quite a vineyard that she had, extensive. The Bible says that she stirred up Ahab to be the most wicked king of the Israelites. Now, this woman had influence on the king. Would you say that? He's already corrupt in his own. He doesn't need any help, but he gets worse. See, bad company corrupts good morals. What does bad company do with bad morals? It just gets worse. Is that what's going on in our culture today? Would I be safe to say that? That's pretty easy, isn't it? What about this lady Jezebel? I don't really take the name literally here, where her name was Jezebel. It could be. But I've read enough commentaries and enough thinking that I've put on this saying probably not Jezebel because nobody named their children Jezebel. Can you imagine a little baby girl, one, two years old, 
or toddling around and Jezebel, come here. And what would everybody's even if you're a pagan, Jezebel is not a good name, you know. And by the way, uh, you think of certain places. Um, what was a place that was judged severely in the book of Genesis? Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you ever known a city known or, or, or that has been named that? Nobody does that, do they? Well, why not? It's interesting how the Bible makes an impact on all, even all the religions. And here we have this name. I doubt if that would be. It could be. Maybe their parent, her parents were just rebellious enough to just name the girl that, and fully with whatever body else does with that, right? So, at any rate, I'm saying probably not. But John, being inspired by the Spirit, uses Jezebel because that relates us back to the Old Testament of Jezebel. And most people know a little bit enough to know that she's wicked. She's not one that you would want to put in the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame. She has a disfamous name. She wound up dying in absolute humility. There's nothing about her that you would want to be struck by. And apparently people were in Thyatira. This lady here that is taking on a personality of Jezebel. Uh, It says that and it's basically she's taking on the very character of the the first Jezebel, okay? Um, She is a prophetess, it says here. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Is she a prophetess? No. She absolutely is not a prophetess. But she pronounced herself that. That doesn't make her biblically that. Or anybody who calls themselves prophets today, we have the full completed Word of God. And anybody that's preaching or proclaiming the Word can be called a prophet in that sense. But if they're giving, they're giving new revelation, the Bible is not complete then because other people are getting it and so she's claiming to be equal with the apostles with her being a, a prophetess. She's not. She called herself that. That's what a lot of people do today. They're just self-proclamation that I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. We've already uh, talked about that before. Um, this woman is Jezebel because she actually is teaching false religion, immorality, pagan religions in this church. Nobody did a thing about it. They let her go on and on. Why did they do that? Well, see, she is a seductress. She's not a prophetess. She's a seductress. She seduces her servants, the Lord says. She, She seduced my servants Self-appointed prophetess seduces people because they all of a sudden think, oh, she's saying things that are amazing. Right? Uh, What's going on? What was going on with Ahab and Jezebel? 
Why wasn't the king Ahab putting a stop to some of the things that Jezebel was doing? Well, because he was weak. He was weak and he let her do anything she wanted. She did. If it meant murdering, killing people, he went ahead and did it. Even if it's his own fellow people. Even the great prophets of God. She killed. Carried on that way. She had an impact on people. The king is weak. What's happening in Thyatira? The leadership is really weak. People are vulnerable to false teaching. To ones who come in and give something else that's totally different than what the truth of the Word of God is. She, another thing is, is what is she doing teaching there? Now, and we'll go to the Scripture. That's not to say that women can't teach. They can have that gift. But it's to be in the proper place. At the proper time with proper people. The Bible talks about women teaching women. Of course, there's all sorts of biblical things that they can teach them. But they're not to usurp the authority of man. Now, does that mean that, hey, Dennis, you're starting to sound a little bit like... um, you know, what we've always known before where men come in and demand that women listen to them and uh, anything that you have to demand to people, you're in trouble right off the bat. But we do live in a world today that elevates women beyond what they're to be elevating. You say, what are you talking about? Men are can be elevated far much more than what they need to be elevated. What we're talking about, that God has given us roles in society, in the church, in the family. Everyone does what they are wired up to do. And things function tremendously. But when you have people that don't even know what sex they are, how can they carry out the role that God has put forth? People are so confused today. They are so far away from the Word of God. And so really what has happened in our society today and it's what social justice and Black Lives Matter is, is they turn it upside down and it's the, the male who is white who has money, evidently, all white males have money. See, they're privileged, right? That's the worst position that you could be in today because you are not, you know, you are way behind. You're not at the top anymore. Women now have reversed the roles. And we've seen it for decades. We saw it coming and now they have superseded what God ever intended for them to do. Do I believe in equality? Absolutely. And men should not be above women. But there's different roles that they have. Let's look what God said. This is not the word of Dennis. This is not the gospel of Dennis. I'm just going to read you this. And I'll tell you what, whenever I had this read in a church one time, it caused all sorts of havoc and it caused a split. I am not kidding you. It actually did. I just had it read. And a guy stood up and he said that Paul was a bigot. You know what he just said about the Word of God? 
that what Paul wrote was not the truth of God. And you could probably ask him that. He'd tell you that. He was one of the leaders in the church, or so he thought. And it says in, in Timothy, in verse 11, as he talks about the men and the women in the church, and uh, this is verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, showing yourself off very prideful. It's not that you're not supposed to look nice. That's, you know, that is good, you know. And no problem, you know, but I'm just saying he was, that's the idea behind it. He says, just dress that doesn't attract attention to you in a way that goes beyond what it should be. But he says in verse 10, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman or to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And it gives a biblical reason for that. People would say, well, the culture has changed. Well, if we change according to what the culture says, we're not even of a church anymore. It says, for it was Adam who was first created. That was the order that God had. I didn't have anything to do with it. God did. And then Eve. Does, is Adam better than Eve? No. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And then he gives the blessings of women as they bear children and they become mothers. They teach them. The best people you can teach are your own children. So as they go out, they have the gospel and they have been raised up in the truth. And the women, mothers, have more bearing on that in the formative years than the father or husband, than anybody else in the world. They should be that way. That has definitely taken a change in our culture too. Who raises the children? Well, from the very outset, you send them when they're like one or two years old to some kind of nursing school and then, or nursery school or whatever, and then it goes up to preschool. And guess what? By the time they are in the first grade, they now listen to the teachers. Unless you are teaching, am I saying public school? You shouldn't be a part of it. No. Matter of fact, if if they go to public school, okay, they can make an impact later on. But you need to make sure what they're teaching them. In a lot of places around here, it's not like what you hear what's happening in Chicago or even St. Louis or New York City. There are some restraints here. There's some common sense still yet too. So I know that, but that's the reason I say that. But the idea here is our culture is different than the culture back in Timothy. That doesn't matter. The Word of God is always the same. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And He says this, a woman is to receive instruction. She's not to take over and be the teacher or preacher or pastor. For 1,900 years in the church, that's the way it was. There never was any, uh, was any kind of female preachers, teachers in the church uh, taking the authority away from men. But in the 1900s, you started having a... Uh, uh, a breaking away of traditions. It took years, it took decades. And not all those things that have changed are bad. There's a lot of good things. And Jesus actually raised up women 
and that culture to be equal with men. He raised them up as the men abused them and put them down. And you see, it's always been that way since there was sin. You have Adam over Eve. And then the women rise up and they are over the men. And then the men then take them down. And that's the way it's gone. Through the cultures, through the nations, through the centuries. And so we happen to be at that kind of situation now. And uh, we know that in many organizations throughout, whether this be the schools, especially the colleges and the universities and the government and business, corporations, TV, media, all the way, internet, is that there is something that is um, taking a different definition and everybody is really defined by groups. You're in, you're in group and, and really what it is, it, uh, it's something that turns everything upside down. Rather than us being one and unified, if you come from a minority, then you are lifted up and if you are from the majority, you are pushed down. That's what's happening. That's what's been happening in the riots. It's what, when you have no authority and submission in their minds, you, uh, you ha- unless you ha- if you're a policeman and you're black, then you have a white girl there yelling and cussing and cursing at a black policeman. But she would take priority over that because, you see, police are in a different group and they're bad and they're evil. <laughs> and so everything in our society has been turned upside down. Has anybody heard of the 1619 Project? Yeah. We know what's happening there. That's taking away all of history, really, is what it's doing, and how this country was founded, and the basic principles that it had, and they're trying to make you forget everything about it. It's um, totally against God's Word. You see what culture has done? It makes people think. And if we, all we have to do is look at Scripture and see what it says right here. What is it? This is how a church works. That's how it's done for years. And throughout, for the last century now, we have many women who have come in to the church and have taught, and have taught heresies. And the church is just glad to have them. And they teach things that are unbiblical. I will give you an example of some of the cults that have started because of women. And men have done the same thing. You know, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and you know, you go on and on. Uh, uh, anybody ever heard of Mary Baker Eddy? Mary ba- Baker Eddy founded Christian Science. Has anybody ever heard of Christian Science? Probably you have. They used to have a Christian Science reading room that was close to downtown. I don't even know if they exist around here anymore. I haven't heard anything about them. I don't think they made much of an impact. Uh, but they did for quite some time. Probably still are in a lot of ways. She wrote a book called Science and Health with a Key to Scripture. She was a prophetess. She says, I have revelation from God that nobody else has, and I have the key to understanding the Bible. Once somebody says that, unless you're really gullible, you run away as fast as you can because they are not telling you truth. It sounds good. Sounds real good. There was Ellen G. White, who was a Seventh-day Adventist. She started that, and she got 
revelation directly from God. And she wrote her own keys to understanding who God was. And it was put on a level with the Word of God. We have problems with that, don't we? You see, there wasn't anybody to call account to what she was doing. Why would people go after Jezebel like they did? Would, would she have survived in Ephesus doing this? No. Because they recognized it and they would do discipline or kick her out. They were not going to put, they did not put up with that, if you remember that text. Well, what's the deal? Well, I think that she's very articulate. I think she is quite the speaker. I think that she is very charismatic in her personality. She draws people to her. There are a lot of people that have that kind of character in them. People just draw to them because of the way that they are. Maybe she's a beautiful personality, not only inwardly, but outwardly. And so guys are taken by that. People are gullible. They swallow it right up. She seduced these believers. There's two Christians there. She seduced them. To do what? This is mind-blowing, folks. We go back to Revelation chapter 2. She seduced the people at the church in Thyatira. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's what she did. She taught them those things are good. Putting in a little bit of error with some truth there and people just follow her right along. And it says in 1 Corinthians 6 to flee fornication. Flee. Run from it. Don't participate in it. That is all sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And in chapter... Uh, what is it? I think in... in First uh, Corinthians six says to flee fornication. First Corinthians ten it says to flee idolatry, worshiping other gods, eating things sacrificed to idols. If you were to go into Acts fifteen, there were two things there among other things. But basically, two things about uh, the church when they they had to get together because there was disagreements. The Jews were some of them were Judaizers, and they said Gentiles had to do the same thing the Jews did. You know, about all of the uh, ceremonial acts that they did. and uh, Well, the Gentiles didn't think that they did. So the leaders of the church, and this was the first church council. In Acts 15, they basically said this. Listen, you, we, we are telling you this to flee fornication. You as a Christian can't continue that anymore. And also, quit the... Uh, eating of things that is connected with idolatry. Sacrifices. Eating that sacrificial meat. The strangling of, of those animals and such. So, do you get the idea really what was going on there? She's saying, it's okay guys. I know about your guilds. I know about those. I'm, I'm in one myself. And you know, in order to get up in this world and move along, you're just going to be by the wayside if you don't stay joined with them or join up. If you, if you join up, everything's going to go good. Everybody's going to have your back. We'll take care of you. 
And they're going, really? Is, well, you know, you've been, you teach really good things. What you're saying sounds pretty good. I like that because I didn't want to give up my business anyway. Are you seeing what's going on? That's why those guilds there are important and the businesses that they do, um, she is saying it's all right. If you eat the meal there, pour that cup of wine, it's not a big deal. It doesn't really mean anything anyway. And by the way, you know what you do in your body doesn't really matter. It's where your spirit is at. That's really an early, early form of Gnosticism which developed early in the church. And a lot of people like that idea because it says, I can do anything I want in my realm. At my work, I can do whatever I want. And at church, here's what I do here. I pay attention to the Word of God, but over here, this is how I vote. Um, no, I'm not going to vote conservatively. Do I believe in abortion? Well, you know what? My party believes in it. And maybe I don't believe in it or not, but I'm going to stick with my party. But how can you do that as a Christian? Well, my life as a Christian in the church is different than the one in the church, or the one in my at my work, around in the world. Has anybody ever heard that? Boy, I used to hear it all the time. There are churches all over the place here that continue to vote for the democratic realm, and they know full well what you talk about when you bring the abortion issue and say, I can't support anybody that supports abortion. If I've got another party over here that, that is against abortion, I'm going to vote for them. And you want to talk about character? Let's talk about it. You're a murderer. That's what, You're lending everything to that. I used to go at it with people constantly whenever I would put up very good sound books. Once in a while, I would put a political book out written by a Christian and I'd have it on the front steps, and people would come in there. They would not talk to me one-on-one, but they would call me up, and they would rip me up one down and down to the other from top to bottom. And then I would try to be very cool about it. At the same time, we would get into talking about Christ. And I would always invariably say, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Do you know what they answered? These are people coming from local churches here in Jeff City that were so offended by some of the stuff that I had in my Christian bookstore that was Christian. And they said, well, Christ is good for me. And I knew what was coming next. And you do too. But other people get offended by what you put out and... They have their gods too. I said, are they saved? They said, well, certainly. And I go, that's all I need to hear. So I presented Christ and the Gospel and that, that ended it. They, they did not want to hear the Gospel. And His narrowness. Now, that's why we have a Thyatira right here in Jefferson City. It's all over the place. Forbid that we have a Thyatira in this church. Right? We don't want that, do we? Well, the lady says that is commercial suicide. If you quit that guild, you know what else they did? They're probably, evidently, it looks like. There was a physical immorality going on there, a pornea, along with her. 
men in the church probably were having this kind of immorality. Um, they committed acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Pornea. Uncleanness. Impurity. That is what she did and that's what she taught the people. Just right under the layer of some truth in the Bible. And they bought it. And nobody did a thing about it in this church. And there were people who were true Christians that knew it was wrong. And they weren't doing this stuff. Why didn't they say anything? The next one is the command of the church. And he said to repent. I gave her time to repent. She didn't repent. People that followed her didn't repent. She doesn't. She likes her immorality and she likes to encourage it on her people there. I learned of a lot of churches here in town that had all sorts of immorality going on in their churches. And all the pastors. And it was not even a thing that they even winced at in their church. That was just normal. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's okay. They would kind of keep it down and wouldn't talk about it too much, but they would they would say, yeah, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? What kind of church do you have? Well, they had prophetesses and apostles. So I guess they had a Jezebel there. I'm sure they did. Gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Verse 24, uh, I'm going to come back. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. To the ones who have, maybe even repented, or the ones that didn't need to repent, hold fast to the truth. You know what's right. Keep doing what is right. Hold fast till I come. He's going to reward the church, the faithful ones. If you don't deal with that woman, I will. They didn't deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. That's what Jesus says here. Now, the threat to the church is in 22 and 23. Behold, check that word out, attention, Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. You see, they were doing the exact same thing that she said and even with her. A bed of sickness is what Jesus is going to put her on. A bed of tribulation. These are tough words, aren't they? This is the loving Jesus, folks. This is the real picture, unadulterated. This is the true Word of God. This is Christ. And remember, what kind of eyes does He have? Flaming eyes of judgment as He sees what's there. I'm just saying what is here. 
I'll give her a sick bed of tribulation in place of her bed of lust. Do you see this? You know, there's a literal and a metaphorical spiritual area here happening. What's, what's happening today? People say, I'll not get tainted. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I go to watch a film, a movie. I know it's R-rated, and I know there's a really lot of bad things in there, but, you know, I'm a Christian, and it doesn't affect me. I can watch that. It's not a big deal. I can go to a bar and participate with all the drunkenness that's going on. You know, uh, I can discern. I know when to stop drinking. I know what to do. I, I'm a Christian. Hey, I can listen to music that is about all sorts of immorality. In the rap world today, what, what do you have going on there? Most of it is just filthy. There is Christian rap, believe it or not, that's actually good. The lyrics sometimes are a lot better than what you'd ever hear on any Christian station today. The thing is, is that there's a lot of music out there that people say, well, you know, it doesn't affect me. I don't listen to the words. I used to say that. I <laughs> uh, no better. no better than that. You know, Jesus says, stay away. Stay away from that stuff. Don't be a participant of it. They could have all the sex kind of life that they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted. Their social life could be that way. But still be in fellowship with the Lord. What fellowship does Christ have with Belial? How can they say that around the Lord's table? Horatius Bonar had a good one. Hey, listen to this. If you can't take anything else and remember today, here we go. This is really cool what he said. I looked for the church and I found in it the world. I looked for the world and I found in it the church. Did you guess it? Did you get that? That was Thyatira there. That was the corrupt church. That's the church today. He would give tribulation. He will search minds and hearts as He says in, in the text here. He was wanting them to repent. He was putting it out there. The good news is there. It's All the stuff that is so good is found in Christ and it's not boring. It's exciting. And it's the best you ever had. And a true Christian, once they are a Christian, they don't want those things of the world. So what happens whenever I kind of get touched by it? Well, you know what? Repent of it and move on. Say, I don't want that. That's not, that doesn't satisfy me and I know better. Right? Now, the, per, the promise is given to the church here. We're closing out. Are you ready? By the way, it's interesting. In verse 24, it actually said, the deep things of Satan. I guess so. Satan is mentioned, and this is the third church that he has mentioned, isn't he? That we've seen so far as they call them, the deep things, whatever you know, whatever they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast till I come. 26. He who overcomes. Have we seen that before? Yeah, in every church letter. He who overcomes. Who's the overcomer? 1 John chapter 4 says what? It's the one who believes. The one who is believing in Christ. That's the overcomer. What is it that overcomes? It's my faith. 
the faith that has been granted to me by God, that overcomes all of this stuff that the world and Satan is offering and the flesh just loves to go after. He who overcomes, he who is a true believer, and if you're a believer, you're a believer for eternity. He who keeps my deeds until the end. You're going to show that you're real because you're going to persevere all the way to the end. Not because of your own works, but because of Christ holding on to you. God holding on to you. We have double protection. We're in the hands of God. And if it were our if it was our choice, we would sin and do it every time. But it keeps us from it. Isn't that great? Sometimes we do cave. But he says the true overcome. He will persevere. He'll go all the way to the end because God preserves him. He says this, and this comes right out of Psalm 2. To him, I will give authority over the nations. Their God, the Father, is speaking to his Son, who says, I will give you authority over the nations. And he shall rescue them with a rod of rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also, who's who's writing this? Jesus, I also have received authority from my Father. You know what he's saying there? Who is the He this time? In Psalm 2, it's Jesus. Here in Revelation, it's not only Jesus, but He says, I also give this to them. What is it? Authority and ruling with a rod of iron. In the kingdom, we will be not only in the kingdom but also ruling. How does that work? I don't know. How We will be given cities, it says, and judge them to rule. I don't know how this works. I really don't. All I can say is that's a great promise. We will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We know He overall, He doesn't need us, but He gives us even the opportunity today to take the Gospel to the lost. Right? What a privilege it is. He doesn't need us to do that. That's what He uses. He uses the foolish, quote, means of getting the Gospel to the lost people. He says, I've received authority from my Father, and I will give Him the morning star. Anybody ever seen the morning star? It's about three hours before the sun really comes up. You know what? I'm sorry, this whole time, um, I have not done this... and I almost need somebody to operate this because I can't ever remember. But that's going to the second part, right? And then I go to uh, another one, or what is it? This is why I don't operate. That's where we're at there. Or at the very promise right at the end, the morning star, uh, and it's about three hours maybe before the sun comes up. This is talking about Christ is soon coming. He's the morning star. The bright and morning star is going to be coming. He's near. And He is the Son of Righteousness. And there, the Messiah who has healing in His wings. And He will bring judgment to the enemies. And He will bring to us 
right in there the, the kingdom that has always been promised in its fullest. Christ coming back to His people to reward them. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus just spoke to you today through the Word by His Spirit. Now can I ask ourselves this as we close. Could you have overcome in Thyatira? And then the next question I ask, could we have overcome in the church today? In this world today, could we? We should say yes, right? By Christ. Let's pray. Let's close. Great God Almighty, You are the great God who we worship. The bright morning star is going to be coming. The Son of God. The One who has the glowing burnished bronze feet. The One who has the sword. And if we're truly Christians, we are not in fear because we look to that day, Lord, of You coming back and fulfilling all of this. Even a corrupt church is graced there, Lord. There were people in that church who were true to You. And they were to hold fast to it. It was by Your grace that they held true. May we be a church that resembles the holiness of the Son of God and that we can truly present You in our daily lives as we live it, as we speak it, as we give it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, announcement. I'm trying to. Yes. Don't forget to vote. And that's Tuesday, right? Yep. Do you still have a, a chance to vote on Monday? I don't think you do, do you? Not in Missouri. I didn't think so. Okay. Well. Both absentee. I'm, not, I'm just going to be absent, but it, that's even too late, isn't it? I think it is. Anyway, um, as we close here, um, we need to be praying for our leaders in this nation. Pray for the president, vice president, senators who are running and stand for righteousness, the representatives, the leaders in this state. And so, I'm going to ask uh, Zach. Is it okay if, if you could? pray for those leaders and that God would send us the righteousness that we stand for. Let's all stand. Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, yes from whom proceeds all power and dominion in heaven and earth. We beseech thee to look with favor upon your servants, both the President, Governors, the Congress, Senate. Imbue with them the spirit of wisdom, goodness, and strength, and rule their hearts and bless their endeavors. Please, Lord, preserve us from all public calamities, but especially from sin and corruption in our national government. Make us strong and great, and fear the Lord thy God, and in the love of righteousness, 
so that being blessed by thee, we may become a blessing to all nations, and to the praise of the glory of thy grace, through Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the...